He's got to sleep on that thing. <laughs> you could. You could sleep on that thing. It's actually, it's actually the backboard they're bringing out of an ambulance. That's the, that's the door Rose was on at the end of Titanic. <laughs> Jack couldn't fit. to another episode of Something in the Water. I am Sean Clark, here with my co-host, everybody's favorite uncle, Uncle Dave Griffin. And today we have my long-time, one of my long-time best friends, Ken Heron. Long time, long lost. Long Long lost. Long time, long time. One of my best friends, Sean Clark. Yeah. Man. Well, he ain't lost, but uh, he, uh, we did have to get him all the way from Australia. (laughs) Yeah. Austria, no, Austria. Australia. There's no kangaroos uh, in Austria. Oh yeah, he, he's from the <laughs> kangaroo one. Yeah, I'm from the one with the yeah, kangaroos down under. Well, you're you're actually from Brantley County. From Brantley, from yeah, where County, Brantley County. So, I guess is that how you start? You just start talking about where you're from. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh, introduction. So, which one was first, Brantley or where? Where County. So she um, was. Born here? Yeah, the seas were angry that day. Um, no. <laughs> oh, I forgot you were from, actually yeah. from Ware County. Yeah, so you started out in Ware County, going to Wake County. It was Brunswick, actually. Kindergarten, first grade in Brunswick. Where yeah. are you from, dude? I thought we knew each other. I know, I know. So, I'm originally a Yankee. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> Brunswick, Brunswick, kindergarten, first grade, second through fifth. Was Wake County, living in Jamestown, in a house that's not there anymore, next to Jamestown Baptist Church. It's gone. Mm. Lived in San Diego for about three years, six, seven, a little bit of eighth grade. Came back, went to Ware County for a few weeks, and then Brantley County. Finished up high school and everything in Brantley County. So me and what you met. did you graduate? 91. 91. So, and we probably met in We met 92. probably in 92. Like 91, what year did you graduate? 93. Oh, so, okay, so you're the elder. I'm the elder, a little bit. I'm not saying I'm the wiser, I'm just the elder. <laughs> Well, you taught me a bunch of stuff. Man, I think that goes both well, ways. With all that moving around, was your daddy in the service? Well, he was, but he was out um, by about that time. So yeah. he did eight years, and I think 76, I think he got out. So, And I was born in 73. So I was born I was born in Naval Hospital in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, And then, you know, a little bit of moving around and like lived in Valdosta for a little while. I think I was like four, living in Valdosta and Brunswick and then that. So, and mom and dad split up. You were living in Valdosta in 77. 77-ish. Because my brother brother Scott was born in Hayhara. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, that's why he was the big metropolis of Hayhara, Georgia. That's when I was playing over there in Valdosta. That probably put my... four-year-old running around. I wonder if that put my mom into labor. That might have done it. <laughs> well, it depends on if they uh, came out to the king of the road. They probably did. They probably did. <laughs> well, your daddy is—he's uh, got one of the greatest names ever. 
He did. He definitely did. So Tennessee, wasn't Tennessee. Yep. He was. And the story on that one was everybody always says the same thing. They says, "Is he from Tennessee? Did he go to Tennessee?" What? It's like, no, he never been to Tennessee. He's <laughs> he's from he's a black share, and they were all from Pierce County, Patterson area. And the doctor named him. The doctor, the doctor did. The doctor delivered all aunts and uncles and everything from my grandparents, and they they were sharecroppers, so they were from the poorest of the poor. And doctor always wanted to name somebody Tennessee. And they said, well, you name one up, so they named Dad Tennessee. That's literally all it is. The doctor named him. That's why did, the, why did uh, his parents allow the doctor to that? Well, mean, I think well, he's deli- they, I think there was five of them. So they said, well, you're doing such well, a good we, job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we, we got more kids than we names got more than we kids came than up they, with. Yeah, so they it. just said, because, you know, I guess back in them We're days. all out of the names yeah, we know. Dad was doc. born in 48, you know, in <laughs> South Georgia in 48. You know, it would have been everybody was close. So mm-hmm. they said. Just, so the doctor, same doctor, delivered all of his brothers and sisters. Yep, one had so one it? aunt. There's Marianne, Bill. I'm gonna miss one. Marilyn, Marianne. <laughs> Mary, it feels like it's starting off like a Gilligan's Island thing. <laughs> the skipper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I figured that all been stated. Yeah. Here's Maryland. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> Mar- well, there was a Cleveland. Got, you got old there Vermont. Is, there was a Cleveland. So, and Cleveland I don't know Harry. how Cleveland got his name, but Cle- yep. So that doctor was just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> cigarettes and smoke in the <laughs> office back in those days. They'd go, What's a good city? Spin the globe and go, Yep. <laughs> Your name is Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have a hard time in life. <laughs> <laughs> it was a difficult delivery, so we're going to call you Mozambique. Yep. We'll just call you Mose for sure. Mo, we're going to call you Mose. <laughs> well, Mose would work, yeah, yep. in South Georgia. That's it. <clears throat> so when I met you, Ken, yeah. I just started playing guitar. Yep. And you were already playing bass. Uh, you started on guitar there, right? No, no started on, on, ba- started started on, on bass. bass. Yeah, that, that was when I was 15. <clears throat> I'm 49 now. Um, with Toby Harris and Roger Strickland, and Toby goes, "Hey, you should play bass." Basically, hey, we need a bass player. Yeah, that's how all bass players are made. So, and I, I'm gonna mention, <laughs> I'll mention names. I'll mention, I'll mention a few names. So, one of my friends and his dad always said, he said, "Well, if you find a bass for less than a hundred dollars, I'll get you one, but that ain't gonna last. You ain't gonna stick to it." And Teresa Howell, who's now Teresa Cox, um, she said, well, my daddy has a bass, and he'll probably sell it to you. And it's $75. So me and daddy went over to Teresa Howell's house because she lived right there behind the Thomas Grocery at the time, over off Central. Mm-hmm. Went over there and exchanged 75 bucks, And then I found a, well, you know how we all started. It just nothing's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a big open back 15, basically a box without a back on it, and a Randall RB120 head that didn't really work. And I usually just plugged it into my Panasonic stereo and just played. <laughs> and that was how that started. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I found out that bass players don't get girls. Them, <laughs> them nor keyboardists. <laughs> so, I, and honestly, it stuck from the first night. And I'll never forget the very first night. So I was playing it, and I didn't know what to do. 
No one to teach me. No one showed me anything. I had this Ibanez bass. It was a solid body. It looked like a violin. And don't know where it's at now, unfortunately. And I started just tapping my fingers on it. So maybe I can play it like a piano. And I started to tap. And I, I remember I came back the next day and I looked at Toby and I was like, can I just play it like this? I started to tap and Toby just looked and goes, where'd you figure that out and learn that? I was like, well, it just sounds like it makes sense. And I could just go all over this thing. You didn't get it from Eddie Van Halen? No, anything? no. It literally, I literally didn't know enough about, well, I knew nothing about anything about guitars. And I just started, I'm just curious person. And I just started tapping on the fretboard. Yeah. I just started touching. I said, cause when I put my finger down, I was like, well, that makes a sound. And I tap on the fretboard and then I put my other finger. I was like, oh, well that makes a sound too. And I just started moving my fingers around and I was like, oh, and first night, well, I didn't do any, there was no technique. There was just touching notes going all over the place. And I was like, oh, this sounds right. This sounds right. Next day I started doing that. And they're like, you can't play it that way. I was like, okay, well, how do I play it? I had a pick for a while, and then once I started playing my fingers, that that was it. That was and everything I wanted to play was fast and lots of notes. And I didn't really know how to play bass. I just knew how to play fast and lots of notes. That was my that was my first instrument too. It was a bass. I was a senior in high school, and I, everything about I started buying albums in the eleventh grade. Started my album collection, you know. So I was becoming a audiophile, you know, and plus I had listened to records and radio all my life too. But everything that was hitting my ears, I was just focusing in on that bass, yeah. and it was like, I want to play the bass. I want to be that guy and learn those bottom end parts, you know. And so I borrowed uh, the bass drummer in a high school band, Jimmy Duncan had a bass and he loaned me his bass and remember what kind it was i have no idea i can no tell you right now i didn't get you any girls I, whatever that bass was <laughs> well i that was before girls anyhow uh, <laughs> for me i was a late bloomer but uh i ended up playing it through a standard guitar amp you yeah. know for for the first little bit but i learned to play it and uh Realized that uh, in order to sing, which I never considered myself a singer till I was in band with Billy Ray, and uh, he was the lead singer, and I said, I, uh-uh, I can do better than that. Right, right, right. But I could not sing and play bass at the same time to save my life. Yeah. So at that point, it was like uh, I got to learn to play rhythm yep. and uh, kind of self-taught on all of that. Then I could sing, you know, but I bought my first bass from Gerald Dukes, uh, who played bass in a gospel band around Waycross. He was three years older than me, and he had a Kalamazoo, like a three-quarter model. Yeah. It was about like that. It was white as that. And it was Kalamazoo was a Gibson, uh, like subsidiary of Gibson, and that was a fine little bass. And that's and then I went over to Dixie Music Center. You know the sign hanging in Tipsy's. Yeah, was it the yeah. same spot as there? Uh, it might have been. That might have been right be there. 
They said that's what it used to be. Okay. <clears throat> bought a PV uh, base cabinet. With, oh. uh, I think it had a head and a cabinet. That would have weighed a thousand pounds. It had too. four casters on it. Uh, yeah. Four rollers only. Did they sell? Did they sell you a crane when you had to buy that thing too to put <laughs> no, it in the back of the pretty, truck? It was pretty uh, accommodating. <laughs> uh, that was my trip down that road, and then it turned into six string guitar, and yep. went from there. Uh, that's interesting. Did you? Were you drawn to the bass? No. Did that make you she, buy it, or just somebody no, said Toby Harris? And I'm sorry, Toby, I'm throwing you in there. Um, <clears throat> Play bass because Toby and I were best friends growing up. We were absolutely he was a just, guitar player. He would play guitar, and I thought the most amazing sound I'd ever heard was "Sweet Home Alabama," <laughs> and I was just like, "Listen, listen at him. He's the greatest. This is the best you've ever heard." And he's like, "Come play, come play bass, come play bass." I didn't know. I couldn't tell. I and if I'm to be really honest, I feel like I've only learned bass maybe in the past eight years. I feel like. I've on like become more I'm comfortable. Well, I think I'm list. I've I've tried to listening and I've jumped forward, but I've just tried to listen. And because back then for me it wasn't listen to that bass. I was like, well, what's the bass? I don't even know what it is. Uh -huh. I always I always listen for guitar. Even now I hear the guitar. I hear that playing, and that was what I would do. So what I got drawn to was instrumental. So the next thing you know, it was. Van Halen, yeah, oh, don't get me wrong. You know, Van Halen, that was it for me. But when I heard um, Billy Sheehan play for the first time, it was in, um, is it Mark Mullins? Mm -hmm. Mark Mullins? He played with Mark Toby Mullins or Mullis? Mullis? Oh, man, Mark, I'm sorry if you're watching this. Mullis. Mullis. Like so he was a concert, he could play piano like he was an absolute prodigy. And was he a local guy? Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah. yeah, he was a pharmacist. I remember he became a pharmacist or something. I mean, Mark's. I didn't really know him that well. I just knew yeah. him. He was. He played him. in it because in Waycross, you know, everybody plays in a band together at some point. In time. What was that mm -hmm. band him and Tubby were in that played at the stadium on Fourth of July? Oh man, Tom, Tam. It was some weird name. Like I can't remember. I remember my first gig. That was Phoebe at the Waycross Theater with me, Joey Walltower, Toby Harris, Ty Manning. And Gerald Bullard's singing. And I remember <laughs> that's a whole other what story. Was that? Is that a Fourth of July? No, that was just a. We opened for Diamond Jack. Diamond Jack. Remember Diamond Jack? Is that Skip Sasser? Skip Sasser's okay. band. And we opened for them. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but that was. There's the there's Ritz? video footage of that somewhere. Somebody my my daddy came in. That was the first gig I ever played. And I could tell you that first gig you ever played. First was gig stadium? I ever played. Well, no, it was a way at the theater at the, the theater. Um, Ritz Theater. Ritz theater. Ritz theater. Yeah, okay. theater. There was there was probably a good ten or twelve people in there. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't see because of spotlights. I think I remember. I, do you know did that you wasn't know me on then? a flatbed truck or, out front? No, this was okay. inside in a theater. This was no, before, this was before, no. I was yeah. fifteen. I was yeah. fifteen or maybe sixteen, and me, Ty, yeah, me, Tom Manning, Joey Walltower. Toby Harrison, Gerald Bullard. I can tell you the set list. We opened with Hang Tough by Tesla because it starts with a bass line. <laughs> and they put a and they put the spotlight on me. And I'm and Daddy always said, he goes, son, I don't know what size nails they use to put your feet to the floor, but they did not move because I was frozen. I was just playing this bass line. And, <laughs> and then um, we played that. We played Heaven 
by Warrant. <laughs> we played Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. <laughs> and then we ended with Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. Dang. That was four whole songs we got to play. And boy, I tell you what, we hit big time. And <laughs> there was just so much. It was a lot to take in as a 15 or so, 16-year-old to get all that because it was just loud and screaming. And then Skip Sasser and them got up. They all got up there. And, you know, I was like, wow, this is the greatest band I've ever heard. You know, these guys are amazing. This is unbelievable. I really just – I just want to play music for fun and things like that. And, you know, the whole Waycross thing. The next thing you know, you've got – you're in 12 bands and – <laughs> it might be a Christian band, rock band, and then this is before you know grunge hit the scene, and it's. But for me, it was always instrumental. I wanted to play Satriani stuff and Vi stuff and Billy Sheen. Go back to the Billy. I'll go back to the Billy Sheen thing. Was sitting in a car with Mark Mullis. He had a '86 Firebird, and we were driving, and he puts in a tape, and he goes, "Listen to this," and it was Talus. And it was the MV4-3345 bass solo. And I said, what guitar player is this? He goes, that's a bass solo. And that was it. I was done. And fast forward 30-plus years, living in Australia, as I, I live in Australia, I have for the past 16, I get a call. There's a place called the Bass Center. And I love the Bass Center. I just they, like Guitar Center? Yeah, but it's just, well, privately owned, smaller, and it's just all bass and everything. Wow. Wonderful guy, like the most wonderful guys plugging for <clears throat> bottom of the planet right now. I get a call from one of the guys up there at City Can, and they knew me and knew you know stuff like that because I'll talk to ears off an elephant. And like Ken, just want to let you know, no one knows this because Mr. Big was opening for Extreme over there, and I was like, and I had tickets because I've waited thirty years to see him because I've never got to see him. So one of the guys from the store called me and said, just let you know, Billy Sheen's coming to the store. He's not doing a clinic. We're not telling anyone. There might be five people in here. I have left work. <laughs> Didn't tell them I was going. I was four o'clock and I was gone. And I drive to the base center and I walked in and Darren is at the counter. And I looked at Darren and I was like, Darren, don't you BS me. And he just points. And there he is. And he's talking to this Japanese lady. And I everything in my head to try to be as cool as I possibly could. Because what, you know, Sean, you have watched when I was 19, how many Mr. Big albums I wear out trying to learn every lick and everything, Did like you, constantly. You, uh, I couldn't play with anybody because that's the only stuff I knew. <laughs> nobody can play with you. Because, no, that's what yeah, I mean. Like I, you're I, playing I just couldn't, like these songs exactly. And, but like – uh Eat them a, David Lee Roth, Eat Them a Smile. Oh, yeah. like he learned every song off of there that I tried, nobody could play if they wanted to. I tried as hard as I could. And and I remember trying to learn the first Mr. Big album. I got hung up on Merciless. And I got hung up on that song. And I got hung, hung up on a couple of songs that were really hard tapping. Part. And then all of a sudden there was a there was a tab book in there. And I just read through it. And I was like, what was oh, that Ibanez bass pedal you had? Oh, the old was um, it even a baseball? Oh, David Carr. If you watch this, and I'm going to forward this to David Carr in Australia, he's got one. It was a guitar pedal, but it had like a we call flanger. it the dinosaur. Or you called it the dinosaur? yeah. I call I called it something, but it was I saw one actually. This guy David Carr at Range Master Studios in Australia. He he's got the biggest collection of pedals I've ever seen, and he has a couple of them. And as soon as I saw it, it just flooded back memories. And I was telling him, I was like. Because I didn't know anything. You know, I didn't know anything. Oh, heck, I don't know anything like now. Or it had like chorus and flanger and distortion on it. 
But what I would do is I would set it to make it sound like Billy's bass. Mm-hmm. And I could, I thought, I'm not saying I could, I thought I had it dialed in. You did, man. It sounded like And it. I was like, this is it. <clears throat> Justin, can you, what, what's a, something good we could pull up by Billy Sheehan so people know who we're talking about? Just, oh, just, just any singer. So oh, something know. off of, yeah, so Dave like addicted, addicted to that rush or something like that that's really um, 80s. Um, it's, it's very Green 80s, 60s mind. Uh, he um, was a bass virtuoso. Oh, he and he's, he still is. Winery dogs. <clears throat> I can sit here and talk about Billy all day long. Is there like I mean, some, just what's the first video YouTube that comes to your mind? No, I'd be addicted to that rush. I mean, really. Live? Well, it's no, the actual the, video addicted video? to that rush. So it's very 80s. Okay. Very, can you, you pull know, that up? It's really, <laughs> it's really going to show. It's been a while since a I've lot, seen it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you could it's even do be, the one from 92 from the bass solo and everything. Oh, the whole thing. That's amazing. Um, this was. We can skip around or whatever and get to yeah, the Yeah, that Mr. was. Get Mr. to the bass. Big. It was, it's funny because, like, I'm not there anymore, but for so many years. Yeah, we, this we was, come up on listening to this stuff. Yeah, and, this was it, it for me. I mean, this I was. Could, I could never play as fast as anybody and. I still can't. Yeah. I, well, I and, couldn't. I didn't I mean, think I could either. Fret hand. Yeah, I didn't think I could either. But I tried. The only thing I could do was like do chords that y'all couldn't reach or something. Yeah, because you fingers. you had the craziest chords I've ever seen. You I had to you do got these disjointed fingers and man, you you were absolutely nuts with the chords. I, oh, and that's what you were known for. It's like I'm like, how is he doing? What is this? He got twelve fingers or we something. Were coming in there like playing behind your head and stuff. <laughs> Here we go. That's the bass on. I had this on VHS. I had this on VHS. And this is all I tried to do all the time. I tried. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, he set me. When I got to meet him, I said, Billy, you ruined me. He goes, I've done that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Amazing in so many ways. And very musical, extremely musical. Oh, yes. I never seen. could do that. That, <laughs> that galloping. I worked on that as hard as I could, but I couldn't do it like Billy. Billy has a thing where he talks about one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. The one moves on every hand. And that's what I worked on as hard as I could do. And I think working on it so much, I tried that. That's what I tried to do so hard. You did it, man. Uh, I did, I never thought I could. I never thought I'd. that bass pedal or that pedal. I don't know if it was a bass pedal or not, but that yeah, pedal it was just a guitar. Sounded pedal. like that. Yeah, I tried every. I like I really well that bass. I built that. I remember that bass was a Frankenstein bass. Because Jamie Stewart, well, yes, Jamie Stewart. Was that a squire? Bass? No, it was a mess. This thing was an absolute. Well, it had a different neck. On it me. had a different neck. It had a a Dean neck, but it was an older neck, and it had a weird body. Or no, it was a Dean body, but it was a Dean P bass type. We had a closet called the skeleton closet or something, and we would open up the Garlington place, and that's a whole other chapter, but. We'd open up that cat. I'd open up that closet, and I just found all these pieces, and I just put together a base. And I remember standing on it and having the wrong screws, and I remember putting cardboard shimming behind the neck, yeah. trying to make this thing in tune, and and then I wanted to lower it 
That's you know, wild. just I got right into it. Yeah. And it was for me, I didn't know how to be a bass player. I mean, and you got to be honest, but like I could not, I didn't. You're like a bass soloist. Well, I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to play fast and I wanted to do stuff. I thought my time was pretty good. That was the only thing. I thought my timing was pretty good, but I didn't know how to play. Like someone would ask me like, all right, we're going to play this in a one, four, five. I couldn't because I do runs and I just didn't know. I was like, oh, you got to play fast, you know, and that's just what I did. I mean, I never considered myself a bass player or anything like that. I just had fun. I just had a lot of fun. Um, as you know, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> you, you know very well how much fun we had. So, um, But it was all about how loud, how fast you could get and what was the next cool lick. So when was the first band that y'all got together in? Well, I, Sean, have we actually ever been in – I mean, I don't think we have. I don't think we've ever been in a band together, but yeah. it's always been like Sean taught me so much about different music. So my first, my first breakout into anything that wasn't Tony McAlpin, Steve Vai, Malmsteen, you know, David, all of that. Sean got me into the Afghan Wicks, and that's kind. Of, well, it was actually a little bit before that. Probably we started listening to some other stuff. Sean started listening. We had the grunge movement had come through, started mm -hmm. to come through, and things like that. And we kind of gravitated towards it a little bit. I held on to my metal. I held on to my instrumental, but I opened my brain to it. Mm -hmm. And Sean's like, "Hey, listen to this." Sean's always been deeper in the songwriting side and that <clears throat> musical side and things like that. And when he could get my attention which was hard, but when he would get my attention, I was like, he's like, just listen to this, listen to this part. And he started to break things down for me. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, this is amazing. Now, of course, I would just kind of be back and forth all over the place. But Sean, actually, I credit Sean for putting me on the road to the first person who probably changed my musical diet, you know, probably, or not change it, but add to it. And I've always credited Sean to that. I, I have. I've always credited Sean. And, you know, Afghan Week, Twilight Singers, anything with Greg Dooley, Brad, Satchel, Sean Smith, rest his soul, um, guys like that, I was like, wow, this is really good. I was always looking and for something like, new. or Something, something new, different. something different. I get bored. P.J. Harvey. I remember when the first time I heard P.J. Harvey, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And it was so different than anything we ever listened to. Mm -hmm. Allison Chains, though, that was – that was mine. I think Allison Chains got Well, me. our generation was like, and especially, I guess, even if, you know, you being a few years older, definitely your generation or that, what the mindset was, if you can't play blistering solos, yeah. then, then you ain't you, shit. You're not shit. Yeah, that and, was uh, it. That was it. Who was the fastest? And, and, so the, and the turn of the tide was like Nirvana and everything was just getting stripped back down again. Yeah. And there was this whole fight of what's right, what's right and what's wrong. And, yeah. I just uh, liked it all. I I never I liked it. Now I wasn't a Nirvana fan. I, I'll admit, you know, but I wasn't a Guns N' Roses fan either. You know, I was I like both of those bands. Yeah, and see, and it's always I could yeah. ruin a vibe quick yeah. with Sean. Sean's like, I tell I always tell Sean, I was like, I don't like that. He's like, how can you not like that? <laughs> I was like, I don't like it. I don't, I don't know how you don't like it. Um, and but you know, some things sit with you. Some things. As I've gotten older, I've definitely learned to appreciate. I mean, there's a hundred percent I've learned to appreciate, but 
back to your original question. Sorry, is we I don't we never played in a band, but what would what happen? What about God bless Jesse? Well, God bless Jesse. Yeah, we had that, that was the name of a band. We uh <laughs> we just made up I some. Forgot about that. We oh made a cassette gosh. tape one time and we called it God bless Jesse because that yes. was like a saying. Of, Again. We did have we did, Sean and I actually. I but it was all instrumental stuff. To do with Jesse Heron? Yeah, no, we didn't even no, know Jesse Heron. It was a Jesse Clemens. It was a made up name. Jesse Clemens. It was a made up name that. when I was in college for a little while. There's a guy named Gosh. I remember everything. I hate this. There's a guy named Ken Kuiper that lived down in the hall in me in a dormitory, and he would scream out the window at Abac in Tifton, <laughs> and scream out the window. God bless Jesse, Jesse. And he'd just scream. And then we had a friend, um, Ken McAlpin, and we just, I don't know, one thing led to another. It was just, God bless Jesse. I don't know what happened. And then Sean and I, actually, you're right. We had the Yamaha four track. Yeah. And your Papa Clark, we went to his place and we used his copier machine to make cassette inserts and yeah. you did the artwork. <laughs> yeah. And we had one word names for all the songs. Do you have a copy of that? I, I do not. I was going to ask you if you had I a copy. I couldn't tell you what one song sounded I couldn't like. tell you what one. It was ambient. It was all ambient and it was just bass and guitar. It was bass else. and guitar. And, but we would instrumentals. La- yeah. And, but we layered. Remember, we would just ping pong stuff and then How layer did we record. Back we did it on the four track. We did it on the four track. And I think we did it in your bedroom. If I remember probably. right. But we did, yeah. We probably made it in two days. Or probably something. made it in two. I don't even know if it took us two days. Yeah, we did make it in your bedroom, I remember. Because Eddie Walker's drum set was sitting in your bedroom, I remember. Because I'm throwing all kinds of names out there. But Wow, I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was Sorry. you doing with Eddie Walker's drum set in your bedroom? Man, that was another band. I don't even know. I, yeah. I remember it being there, but I can't remember. He, he, I guess he was... We were trying to make Story. a band. We were trying to make a band. There, everybody was trying to make a we band always, at yeah. some like, point in time. And there, everybody was in each other's bands and mm-hmm. stuff. And I mean, once Sean got into that. Everybody was trying to find who, who yeah. uh, aligned with whoever playing. You know, like you were trying just to find trying the chemistry to with figure somebody. it out. And the thing was is that everyone knew each other. And everyone got along. <clears throat> no one hated But everybody each other. like. Especially back then, like just half-assed knew what they were doing. Yeah, you know? no one really knew. I mean, and, you uh, had someone like Josh think, Kirkland that I think smoke on the water goes like this. No, yeah. I think no, it goes like it, this. Well, I remember the jacket he was wearing it had seven studs on it. No, it only had five. Remember that one time? <laughs> when they were in? It, it's kind of like watching Rockstar. Josh Kirkland knew what was going on. That he was a different cat. He was a, a completely uh, different cat. He uh, younger than y'all. No, Josh is Josh is my age, maybe a little, maybe a year uh-huh. older or so. Okay. Josh, Josh was a step. He was that was different. Timmy Sebron, he was loud and proud. Kenny O'Bear, another bass player. Paul Lee, great Paul Lee. God love Paul Lee. Paul Lee and I went to school together, and we started playing bass at the same time. Really? Yeah, completely different. Paul had the Kramer bass, and he had the Kramer BX eighty. I think he had. He had the nice gear. Was fluorescent green, the bass? No, it was a gray, metallic gray bass. Because um, I remember him and his dad came out to the house, and it was just, it was the most awesome. Like, I love Paul. I, I haven't seen him in a long time. Paul, hope you will. Um, I haven't seen Paul in a long time. Paul was just always great. And the great thing with Paul is we just tried to learn from each other. No one was trying to be better. Because there was that whole area of cutting heads and mm-hmm. guitarists and 
No. Paul, Meet me in the back alley. Yeah, I'll we're going to rip head off cut heads. These licks. Paul, the thing I loved about Paul is that we would, Paul would ask me what I'm listening to. I'd ask Paul what he's listening to. And we listened to two totally different things. I remember Paul playing Moby Dick. The first time I heard Paul play Moby Dick, I was like, yeah. I think we were in Waynesville or something. He was playing a gig. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just teenagers. We don't know anything. And Paul was right on it. And it was so good to watch him. It was mm-hmm. so good. Um, and then Kenny O'Barrow was, he was mm-hmm. a slap pop man. And I could I can't do any of that. And if you if you needed somebody who could slap it and pop it, boy, you called Kenny and Kenny yeah. was on it. And Rush, stuff like that, yeah. man, he was on it. I was just if I had Mr. Big and David Lee Roth and stuff like that, I was like, Yeah, I'll try. I'll kinda see what I can work what out. What about Flea? No, I never got no, no never got there. I I'm once another I appreciate them, but I just it never quite got. It was always that instrumental thing, and I, like I said, I felt like Sean opened me up to that singer songwriter side. Because once Sean started going down that road, and, I, and Sean was always on that road, he just I felt I felt you you when knew, I couldn't do the other. I was interested in the virtuoso stuff. I just I knew I was never going to get yeah, it. Yeah, but in your heart, I always saw it, like the songs you would write and things. I was like. Yeah, this is where he's at. I wanted to write more than I wanted to do Well, what was funny, and I'll bring this up, and it is funny, is that when you started singing, everything sounded like Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Horrible. That's what I was trying to sound like, because I didn't know anything. But then what happened was is that you could not sound like him anymore, and you're like, and you would get so mad. Like, man, I can't stop. I still sound like Billy Corgan to this day. I can't stop. But you found your voice. You found your voice, and then... Through the years, me being it wasn't, in the wasn't a good role model. Well, sure. but me being like, I remember me being in the military and coming home and playing and stuff like that. You'd be playing somewhere, and I'd come in. And you're like, oh man, come in, sit down. And it never missed a beat. We could come in, you know, twenty something years. Yeah, I could walk in. I could come in, sit down, and you'd look at me. I'm like, what song is this? And you would always go, you'll pick it up. Yeah, you and it was never like, and every great once in a while well, you would just say, "Hey, there's this part that goes from C to F or something." You but you'll hear it, you'll be fine. And then I would we, make we up speak a baseline. the same language yeah. with all that stuff because we kind of had the same vibe with that. Just when we played, because we were listening to the same. You were well more advanced than me what you're listening to, but I had that core part you had taught me, so I could bring that vibe. I'm like, I know I'm not playing with Sean, but if I do this, it'll make him turn his head. And I would normally do, and it's not a lick or a run. It was just something small. And the always greatest feeling to me, I have to be honest, was when you're sitting there singing, you're on the acoustic, and you do this. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd forget that you were singing or something yeah. like that. And I always thought that that was, I was like, what did I do? And you're like, oh, man, I wish we had a video. <laughs> <laughs> it was always fun. But playing in other bands, I mean, <clears throat> the two greatest nights, I have to say, was Newfanglers. I sat in two nights with y'all because Paul couldn't. Paul was on the road. I think he was on the road with, was he on the road with Leon at the time? Where was it? It was at, it was at First Creek. Creek. First Creek. Mm-hmm. First Creek. Newfanglers. Was he doing, he wasn't running stuff for Leon. I don't think yeah. if he was with Leon yet or still. No, he, he, I don't no, think he had gotten with yet. Leon yet, mm-hmm. but he was on the road. I think he was running sound. Well, actually, he closed Crosstown Music in 2008, and that was still the first creek, I believe. That was still First Creek, because okay. you were yeah. you were running that. 
Uh, that you were running that in there, running what? Cross? Were you running across town? No, Is well, it? I worked there. Or you worked? Yeah, I, see, I, worked I was trying there. to build you up, saying you ran it. I did a lot of I did a lot of uh, work there, and Paul was just he had lost interest in it. Yeah, a, a lot by then, you know. Because well, he was into running sound. I remember. Yeah, right? he, he did doing a, lot a lot of gigs. Of he was doing a lot of sound gigs at the time, and Stork Winfield. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. I forgot about and that. And then yeah. when the store closed down, he bolted straight to Athens. Yeah, and that's when and he set took up off business. And then he he probably got with Leon in about 2010. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. And because I'd already moved away in '06, but I yeah, I just remember coming in, and I think Sean said, "Hey." You available? We got two gigs. Paul had to come out. You were coming home. You were home from Australia. Home, right? and what was so great about it? The greatest thing about it to me to this day was I didn't need. Well, we didn't need to rehearse because you guys were. I mean, that was just ingrained in you. This one, that album is just. You I knew the it. album so. I knew well the album that- so well because. I was just always playing along with it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, it wasn't all this rip. It was just honest, heartfelt, really good music. And I remember just getting on stage and starting to play, and it was just the most – I was like, this is the parts. This is how it goes. And mm-hmm. I just remember smiling all night long for two gigs. And it was just so good. I mean, every song is just so good on there. So, like, fine, let's go get it. <laughs> go, go get it. Um, but yeah, it's always been just kind of in and out with people and hanging out. And we need a bass player, Ken in town. Mm-hmm. You know, might not be any good, but at least I could make a bunch of noise. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do it this round, but we I usually fit you in somewhere on a gig or yeah. something. Well, but... you work, man. You're a solid work musician now. You, yeah, I don't for have years, a time. years now. You, you guys, that's a, you know, you set the stage. Trying to keep the lights on. <laughs> what do you do down there in Australia? Oh, dude, um, I work in uh, industry, commercial audiovisual, so like anything designing classroom, a screen on the wall and stuff, of video conferencing and speakers and mm-hmm. microphones and things like that. So not so much the broadcast stuff like we're doing here, but I can get my way around it. But mm-hmm. that's, that's those kinds of things. So it's, been, it's about setting it up more than it is about. Well, it's about designing. Like somebody design. might need a like. Let's say there's a thirty story building, and they go like, "Hey, we need 150 rooms, and they're going to be video conferencing." And I just would kind of help out with like, "All right, well, this is how screens go, and this is how table boxes and all the technical stuff that goes with it, and what needs to be put in, and mm-hmm. microphones, and plugs, and control systems, and things." We had ner- a lot of nerdy stuff. You had a lot of that coming out of the Navy and stuff. In a way, yeah, the and, Navy and was... Did, and you went to school after that when you got out? No. Oh, no, you didn't? Well, yeah, a little bit. So in the Navy, so I did elect, what's called electronic warfare. Um, technically, and I ship missile defense through briefing type NATO and... Damn. Stuff, yeah, stuff like that when I was... Top secret? There's a bit of secret stuff in there. Um, yeah. And just... Uh, it had a technical side of it. It's like big radar. It's always say it's sonar above water is what it was. So um, you just did it on top of the water instead of below water. 
and that was technical and I went to school for a long time in that in the Navy and then got out and finished up some school kind of online and remotely and things like that and it's got you in all these like, yeah it's engineering just like, yeah engineering technical. stuff and things like that so I, I don't you know people get real nerded out about it i just you get nerded out about it too sometimes not too not too bad huh? he's got to get the schematics on everything he gets yeah i just look at lines. tear it apart rebuild it yeah i just break it so i can well, know yeah, yeah or to be able to fix your phone then Man, there ain't no fixing that phone. I saw that tonight. That song got drove over. You need to, you need to throw that away and start over. <laughs> it looks Played like it. you pulled pulled it behind you from Brunswick to Waco. Yeah, yeah I, I had a little bit too fu- much fun at uh, Brunswick Porch Fest, and at the end of the night, I lost my phone and went back to finally found it in the street, and it had been ran over. But <laughs> looks like it got shot with buckshot or something. It does. It absolutely does. I'm so uh, your mother actually is Sean's neighbor. Yes. My, my landlady. Oh, the, landlady. The slumlord. Yeah. I mean, the landlord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rochelle. So, yeah, Rochelle. So, so mom moved out from, she lived in California for years and years mm-hmm. and years. And she came back to Waycross where she lived for a little while and. Just because California changed a little bit, and Mom's getting a little bit older, and she retired you know, out there. Yeah, she retired out there. And my brother Scott's here, pretty close. So, but heck, Sean and Bess probably take care of more anything like that. Scott's the good brother. Don't get me wrong, but I'm so far away. I've actually just visited Mom now and said hello and stuff, and she sings Bess and Sean's praises. You know, mm-hmm. oh, they're just the best. They're the best. So, well, they are. They yeah. are the ideal. Tenants. Yeah. It's all a bunch of hype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but We're no, horrible. That is the other thing that's kind of like, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I take it for granted or what, but knowing Sean's right there next door to mom, you know, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a nice, that's helps, a nice feeling. Helps you sleep better. It, it definitely does. It, yeah. it definitely, definitely does. So, so uh, in uh, Australia, the water goes backwards. It right. does. It the does water the other drains way. backwards. It goes. It goes. Every time the you flush way. a toilet, it fills yeah. up with. Yep. Yep. You flush one up here, it fills one up down there. It go. It does. It goes the other way in the sinks. I wouldn't say the toilet so much because you flush a toilet there and it's just a big. Rah. But is it that big a deal? Like when you come back, you're like, wait a minute, it's going down. No, I don't even like, pay attention oh, to man. it. I'll be. I know. Oh. I feel dizzy. No, I don't. <laughs> it's, the, it's the flight more than anything that does it. Um, it's it's Jet funny, land. like living somewhere else is. I mean, you're pretty much literally on the other side of the world. Yeah, it's it literally it's a oh it's it's a full twenty four. It always trips me up. Okay, I know that uh, we're in, we're on the east coast of America, and yep. when you're flying west, yep, you're gaining hours. Yep. So, you can land before you. But left. at some point, <laughs> I guess it starts in Japan, right? There's the an new day starts. There's an international date line. I forget exactly where it is. It's is that Australia or y'all? No, nah, it's somewhere in the Pacific, a little bit for I can tell further you further west. I can tell you the okay. time right now. So. Right it trips me out though. I mean, you're gaining hours up to a certain yep. point. Then it's tomorrow is. Yeah. Tomorrow's beginning. When you well, go, well, here you go. You want to know time right now? So right now it's a quarter past eight at night. 
Quarter past eight. It's quarter past eight, whatever what day, Where? whatever day it is. Here. In Austin. Oh, here. No, right yeah. here. So, yeah. yeah. And it is a quarter past noon tomorrow. Oh, it's at my home. It's already tomorrow. Yeah, here. I'm yeah. gonna call it's home. Y'all want the lottery numbers? I'll call the house and see what they are, <laughs> and see if we can't get them. <laughs> I'll see if we can't figure out <laughs> what news is so coming. Y'all have a lottery over there? Yeah, yeah. It's all look. It's it seems like such an American thing. That's no, what gets me though. It's so. all around the world. So this is the one thing that's always funny is it's always. You know, because no one knows about Australian stuff. You know, you ride kangaroos and you got all this. And look, if you were to come down there, you'd be like, man, there's no difference in this than it is anywhere anywhere else. And, and look, to be honest, where I live, I have some of the best people you will ever meet. I mean, they're just kind, caring, considerate. It's just like living in <clears throat> where in Brantley County. It's really just the same, mm-hmm. except they travel more. So they got a little bit more of a world, you know, Americans, we... We hang out. We stay put. We stay put. And then we might travel around our own country when we get older or something. Over there, they travel young, and they get around the whole world, and then they see their own country usually when you get older. So very well-versed in in the world, Australians. Very, very well-versed. So I was lucky because I traveled in the military and a little bit with mom. So when I went over there, I wasn't, you know, because you kind of, the American walks in the room over in Australia, and it's a bit of an eye roll or Let's see where this goes or something like that, you know, because Americans are in that bubble for what they consider a lot of times, but very accommodating, very nice. It's honestly, it is, it, there's just, if you're saying bad things about Australians, you're with the wrong people. You Maybe you're in Austria. I don't know. That's not Australia. What about that lockdown? Oh, man. Yeah. I thought I'd never go to prison, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that how do you say this the right way? Because it, you know, it ruffled everybody's feathers. We all know, you know, we all had some version of lockdown in Melbourne. If you if you do the whole wiki thing and stuff, you see Melbourne's at the top with the lockdown. Y'all had stuff. it rough, more rough than yeah. anybody. It I was think. the yeah, it was it was the roughest. I mean, we trying to say that you know, well, that's not something to be proud of. But I get, I guess. But I mean, know, I, y'all had fewer cases. Well, yeah, but fewer people in a kind of a way, you know, you think about it and stuff like that. There's only 25 to 28 million in all of Australia, but Melbourne had it different than the rest of Australia as well. So, because everybody had their ways of doing these lockdowns and the way that they did it was harsh. Mm. It was extremely harsh. So, and, you know, without getting political and stuff, you, you know, at first you think you're doing the right thing and you're trying to do all that and, would you do it different if you had it? And you know that, you know that it's without getting too deep in it. That yeah, that changed the landscape. As it, as I've seen coming over here, this is the first time in three years. You know, Dad passed away when I came. Do you see any home. differences here? Yeah, I see. I see a bit. It's not massive, but it's little stuff. You know, do you see businesses closed down? You mm-hmm. just like we we yeah, we lost a lot of lost business. a lot of businesses. You see that and. People acting differently, you know, just like we have, and a lot more cautious. And but then you see the other side of it, the whole conspiracies and the things. Mm-hmm. And so it's not much different than you than where I was in in a, in a way. So you guys just got rolling a lot. Early. And the last time you were here was 2020. Yes, and we were going to have you on the podcast then. We were just getting started with yeah. this thing, and uh, and it happened. And it happened. 
and yeah. you had to get home before you couldn't get home. Yeah, <laughs> and that and and fun, funny or not funny. So, dad passed away. You know, mm-hmm. when I was here, so I I came home. And I was going to be here five weeks, and I was only here 10 days. And so I had to turn around because it was best for me to go home because mm-hmm. I would have been stuck here. Been stuck. And my, you know, talking to my doctor and stuff, who's one of my best friends. Hey, Rick. Rick's one of my best friends in the world. He's just a, just one of the most wonderful people you'll meet. And I called Rick, and I said, what do I do? He goes, buddy, I think it's best. Your life's here. He's like, no offense. He's like, but, you know, everything's here for you, your insurance, your medicals and stuff. So, and he was, you know, he's right. Rick's always right. So I went back and yeah, we, that was it. We were, we were done. So, you know, we, but you know, we got to do dad's uh, Mm -hmm. memorial and stuff like that, which was good. You know, I I know it sounds, but but it was, it was a good good day. It was was good closure for you. It was good closure and everything. If if that would have happened. Oh, before and then you weren't able to come over here. Yeah, or something. I been, mean that's been a rough. Yeah, and that's thing. the thing is that a lot of people did rough stuff like that with the, you know, whether it was pandemic where it was a wedding or a funeral or things like that, and you couldn't do. And you know, we all lost loved ones here and there and stuff. I remember going flying back, um, got on the plane because I remember going from Jacksonville to Charlotte, Charlotte to L.A., L.A. to Melbourne. There, no one on the flight. I took a selfie, and I think you might have seen it. And there was no one on the flight to Charlotte. There was no one on the flight to L.A. And when we went from Melbourne, or sorry, from L.A. to Melbourne, when we pulled in in Melbourne and landed, we're pulling in, the pilot came across and said, we have just been told that this is the last flight out of America into Australia. Wow, Ooh. dude, you barely got there. So, and then things really changed because they were doing all these quarantine stuff. But mm-hmm. I had told my missus, I told Joanne, she said, Well, just get an Uber. So I said, I'm not getting this sickness from an Uber driver. So <laughs> she took my car. I remember she took my car to the, I said, Please take my car to the airport. I said, Because here's what's going to happen. I'm ex military, so, you know, veteran. So you kind of learn and see things back then. And I said, I think you're going to get quarantining. She's like, what's that? And I said, I think it'll come. And then she went and stayed. I said, just go stay with your sister for a few days, 10 days. And I went home. She went and stayed with her sister. And then Rick, my doctor, he checked on me after 12, 14 days and made sure I was good. And then Joanne came back home. And then right after that, they started quarantining. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, we're going to quarantine all. And Joanne let me said, how'd you? I said, oh, you just, that's where this was going. So, and then, yeah, for about two years, they just, that was it. Mm. So you couldn't. You couldn't be so many miles from your house. Yeah, so they didn't kilometers. So 5K is about three miles. So you couldn't be, you couldn't go more than three, five kilometers from your house. You could only go out for an hour a day. Um, wear a mask. And how long did that last? A very long time. Years. Well, it just went. You'd have they'd soften them and then they'd bring them harder and stuff. It was up yeah. and down. I mean, it was just. But so it like was like a color code. We're well, in the it was or? just there was a daily, you know, thing that the government came out and the premier Today would say. You Six kilometers. Well, they moved it out. <laughs> they moved it out to ten, and they moved it out to fifteen, then they moved it back into five, and they. 
changed time. It it just it moved all around for what they thought that it needed to be done. And if you so, got caught or anything, was yep. It, what, so if you got oh, so you got beat. Well, no, you didn't get beat down, but you were. <laughs> I didn't make Justin laugh. <laughs> you gonna get beat, boy. So if you got caught out for one of, the, I think it was four reasons that you were out. It was a fifty-five hundred dollars spot fine. Oh, oh man, that was serious. Yeah. So, but there was a lot of stuff I could say. There was people calling me, and I, Sean, I know me and you joked a little bit about it, but you were serious, like, "Hey, are you all right over there? Is there? Do we need to come get you and things like that?" There, some of the new stuff wasn't quite right. They were showing helicopters and tanks and all. That never happened. Like where we were, there were some incidents that happened, but it wasn't. You know, they're not around us, um, mm-hmm. things like that. So we live in a real quiet suburb, a little bit north of Melbourne. That's about a 30, 40 minute drive for us. But, you know, we look, everybody tried to do the right thing. You know, we try mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And you just, you learn to appreciate, you know, coming out of it as everybody here did. I mean, it's not just us. I mean, it's everyone. You know, you appreciate things more. And I was lucky to, ha- I'm lucky to have a really good, circle of friends are really really good um so we all would talk and you know whatsapp or whatever and just have a big call and everybody have a drink and you you just do what you could you did everything you could that seems so ancient don't it it does it, it does seems now. almost like damn, did that did really happen? happen did it happen yeah did, but yeah, the music came out good took, from it. It uh, took yeah. the world by surprise i mean everybody you you know nothing about it, yeah. Uh, originally, and then, uh, and then you, uh, everybody's uh, trying to do what they consider the right thing, and it, yeah, it just it was scary, you yeah. know. And, and everybody a had a, started picking yeah. sides, of, and it, yeah, yeah, the I'm side not with picking, it at all, or I'm yeah. with it completely. To I the remember that, uh, Josh Kirkland was going through a. A breakup at the time, right when the thing was starting out, and uh, he was coming over to my house about every night, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think it was me at Dante. Yeah, I think it was. He said, "That's like that ain't good." That's not. Where does he go when he's not at your house? You know, I said, "Come to think of it, I don't. I don't know. You know." So (laughs) I had to. I had to tell him, I said, Josh can't come over anymore. <laughs> I don't know where you've been. You might kill me. <laughs> what happened with the, well, I mean, the one, you try, I try to take the positives out of some of these lockdowns because we all kind of, you know, you got to find something, whether, whether it's you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I knew to do is I, I would shed it with the base and learn more. Um, and tried to learn more by learning less or playing less, should I say. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was that was my thing. I mean, I had little projects mm-hmm. in my workshop that I've got back home that I made a workshop on a house and stuff and got my base gear. You dug out a hole. Yeah, I dug out. Yeah, I dug out a, yeah, for over a few a basement, years. Like, yeah. By himself, like. Digging out over under few, his house. Yeah, over a few years, yeah. And then just kind of. <laughs> like and then he was preparing like, for breaking out of prison. Yeah, and a couple of my good friends, Damien and Adrian. Damien and Adrian over there, were, they came over and helped me design and 
taught me how to use tools properly and things and it's all kitted out and it was it was fun we did of course this was well before you know lockdown stuff and all that and then i had a another music change you know after i always credit you for that first like hey there's more than just (laughs) 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 and i think it was 2014 2015 friend of mine anthony a bass player is a session player back in melbourne great player and he said, you want to change the way you listen to music? And I said, yeah, I'm in a rut. I don't know how to do it. And he came He came back the next day. We worked together. And he had a stack of about, I want to say it was 15 CDs. And he handed them to me in a certain way. And Anthony was that guy that would pop you on the hand, you know. <laughs> and he goes, you listen to these in this order. Do not change the order. And you listen to every song. He's like, I don't expect you to listen to this in a week. And go through it. And I went through it. Stuff. Esperanza Spalding. Um, D'Angelo Voodoo. Twitch to me is the greatest album now. Of, yeah. Just, that one. changed everything for me. Um, and, and a lot of others. So I've gotten into. I got into a bit of R&B. It wasn't all R&B. But that got me into <clears> R&B. <throat> and it turned me on to Pino Palladino. And that was it. And now, but it's not like where the Billy thing was. Where I was like everything had to be Billy. I didn't want everything. I learned my lesson. I was like, but if I'm going to learn, it's not bad to learn from Pino, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So I just got in the woodshed and I just, I I went with it. I mean, I've always had a confidence thing that I'm not doing it right. I'm not, I'm not doing it good or anything like that. And Ryan Lim, if you're watching, and I'm going to force you to watch this. Ryan was just going to shake his head. He's like, I've been trying to tell you, Kent. You, you play fine, you do this, just keep doing it. And Marcel, you moon you the same way. So I just, I don't know, I just want to be better when I play. And I'm not trying to be the best, I just want to be, I've got some really, I've got some influences over there that are just uh, Rick Wong, Marcel Yamuni, Ron Lynn. Marcel Yamuni, I mean, go check him out. My goodness, that guy was an extraordinary player, producer, everything. Um, he lives around a corner from me, and he's been a massive influence. And he's just, you know, hey, listen to this. Just need to do this. It's funny when there's an entire band in there, and he's better on every instrument in there than mm. all the people who play their own instrument. Yeah, like Ken is really like we should pull up some of this stuff. Oh my gosh! Maybe let's take a break, and then we'll pull up some of this stuff. Yeah, some and, of the uh, Marcel stuff is just. Oh, sorry, Marcel. These, these guys are some serious players they've got some, yeah and he, and he knows them all a lot these guys are playing on albums aren't they well yeah marcel i mean marcel was the guitarist for vanessa amorosi on her world tour you know I don't back know what in, that is but that yeah well vanessa cool. i mean any, like yeah so <laughs> vanessa's she was a i mean absolute just singer to no end um and i can't even get into stuff marcel's done it's just I'm just very glad to have Marcel as a friend. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I, I was fanboy with Marcel. Like, when I first got, I was like, wow, Marcel, wow, Marcel. And Rick Wong took me to, you know, Rick, my doctor, but also one of great influence and a great friend of mine. And Rick's a phenomenal guitarist. And Rick's like, oh, we'll go listen to this guy back in 2010 or something like that. And I was like, who is this? And we're listening to this instrumental tape. I'm like, what is, oh my gosh, this is amazing. He's like, this is who we're going to see. And lo and behold, you know, here we are so many years later, and 
I, I consider the Yamuni family to be my family. I mean, it's great to hear the music, but you know, mm-hmm. between the brothers David and Joe and sister Susie and Marcel, I mean, they're they're family. I mean, that's just what it is. So I got past the fanboy, which I've never done before. So I got past <laughs> the fanboy. I'll still fanboy a little bit, but yeah, if you want to check out Marcel Yamuni, I mean, just uh, he's he's amazing. So let's take a break. We'll pull some up. Cool. Right. See you in a minute. I got to pay. Something in my brain won't let me stray. Something in my veins gonna find its way. Something in the water taught me how to pray. When the cold black water finds its way into your veins, you'll never be the same. This is at the current LL Creek, yeah. or before they remodeled. Uh, this is Josh Kirkland on lead guitar and uh, Ken playing bass. He's on drums. Andy, Andy. Riotto. Andy. Yep. yep. Lake City. Is this the first song of the night? No. Okay. We'd already blown everything up for the first song. This is at LL Creek. Yeah. yeah. Did we say that already? Yeah, that was it, yeah. And all the mess ups are free, by the way. Anytime I mess up, it's free of charge. Free of charge. <laughs> <laughs> They're all included. Was on one of your trips home. Yeah, this was just we showed up. We were all up there, we just having a good time. Walked in and started playing. There's a free mess up for you. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy, I'm telling you, the most undersung person that was holding those drums down. Yeah, I like Andy. He's a good guy. I had to play a gig just like this with Andy and Josh over in Brunswick one time. I didn't do near as you good as bass? you. Yeah. Wow. I didn't do this kind of stuff. <laughs> Mine was very simplistic. Just enough to get by. That's my style. And then you hear Mike Fippen. Listen, you gotta hear him. Well, once he comes in on the vocal part.
we all know all the moves. It's, it's just, it fits back and back on. Thing too. The uh, creek's lighting left a little bit desired, didn't it? <laughs> I remember them a little old. Digital lights. Here we go. Listen for Mike in here. Show this. song Josh threw it all out there we had nowhere to go <laughs> everything into what was the first song y'all going down going down it's amazing and there's a video online you can watch it it just oh if you listen to guitar tone like this and you want to play it Dave and I watched him last night playing with Chris Ryder and Laura Ryder. Was it good? It's good. Oh, yeah. good it's always good. I don't know why I said But, you know, when when we, after the night was over, we went up to the stage and talked to everybody. And yeah. It was the same thing. Yeah. Man, I was having a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> man, it just wasn't quite right. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I might stop playing guitar. Never good enough. Yeah. I think I'm going to quit after this. I just don't think it's good enough. He's gotten, he's getting a little more uh, out there, more, I don't know what the word is, uh, less anxious. Oh, he's such More a like, you know, I can do this. I can make a um, living doing this. I you love know? getting him in these moods. Like, I just. Well, he's booking himself. He's, he's booking his yeah. own band. Uh, when. Riders not working, traveling yeah. Riverside's not working, you know. Yeah. And uh, he's, you know, kind of asserting himself and commanding the stage, oh, that's good. you know. That's good. So he's coming out a little more. I like well, when that. When we used to play, when we used to, like, I was playing with him four nights a week before <laughs> I moved to Australia. Four nights a week I was playing and working a full time job. And we would play all these places throughout the southeast, or, rather, or we'd even go to Lake City. So between Lake City, Brunswick, and Jacksonville, and we used to play McGarvey's a lot, and we'd feel that every single time we played there. And I mean, they knew what they were getting. And Josh was extra special on McGarvey nights, extra special. Right. Where was that club? McGarvey's was before Tips and McSway's. So the McGarvey oh. brothers had it, and then unfortunately one of the McGarvey brothers Same passed building away. that Tipsy's is in? 
I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't been. I haven't been there, but yeah, it was beautiful. One of the McGarvey brothers had passed away in a boating accident, and we were asked to play the tribute. So we had the whole truck and come out there and played his favorite song, Freebird. And Josh comes up and he goes, Freebird, we're doing the 13-minute version. Right. And man, man, yeah. there wasn't a dry eye. Mm-hmm. Please don't play that one. <laughs> <laughs> that one's all right. <clears throat> yeah. That was our guest, Ken Heron. What year was that about? I was... want to say that's probably about eight years, seven or eight years ago, I want to think. So Ooh. it's been a little while, that one. Mm-hmm. And I was very. Yeah, it's, I just I don't like watching myself back because that's horrible. But <laughs> it's that's good. It's man. definitely a good time. We always have a good time, and that's the one thing with Josh and everybody, even Sean. Sometimes you know you come home and it's like you'd be sitting out there having dinner, and even Sean would go, "Well, we're about to get Ken up." I'm like, "Oh, what are we doing?" So, mm-hmm. but it was so comfortable, and we'd play. And Josh, you know, lead at LL, just say, "You coming home? Y'all want a night?" and she just booked a night with the three. Andy drive from I drive from Jacksonville. Andy drive from Lake City, and Josh would show up, and we'd walked in and we'd play three sets, and we'd just look at each other, no set list, and Josh would just start playing, and we just go. So because we played a lot of songs enough, but then, of course, classic Josh Kirkland, he just like well, we'll he'll just start playing a song, and both Andy and I look at him and be like, we don't know that we don't song, know what but the song is. we go do it anyway. So, <laughs> uh, you know, well, why don't you demonstrate a little bit on that bass, right man? There. What's there to demonstrate? It's got four <laughs> yeah. strings, and no one, no, like I said, no girls like it ain't like, it ain't like that uh, 17-string bass the dude played on ZZ on Top ZZ Top stage. or anything like that. <laughs> well, you can't play that it by itself. Top? Ain't no something about ZZ we, Top. I don't know if it's that was, somebody. It was, that was the new guy that's. Playing? I think it was. Oh, yeah, the new that, guy. Yeah, I think it was. Just, it had to be some kind of a joke or something. Away, and then they're yeah. Roadie Tech guy, mm. yeah, picked up. Uh, the, I'm telling you, when did I didn't know talk that was about overkill. Him, though. I, was that a was that a harpsichord? I thought a, uh, <laughs> like a I thought a, a chessboard. I, I, I thought a six string. Set. I thought a six string was overkill. Yeah, that was a backgammon set. <laughs> How many strings was it? Seventeen. 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 <clears throat> what in the hell? That, I don't know what he was. That doing. ain't even a multiple of four. No, it's it's like half a piano. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just a. Man, you could play whatever song it is. You could play it on one fret. <laughs> yeah, because it's seventeen strings. Seventeen strings. strings. How do you play? You it? just go up and down. What kind of chords you, you doing need. on that? That's crazy. I mean, it might be the wrong octave. Well, I'm of? sure they start at a a, a low, what B? It'd have to be on a B. Can you low can we B. pull this up so that everybody can? At least see what we're Can talking we see about. Seventeen about. Yeah, we're just so it go. Where would we look? B E A. D G and start off. Oh, he's talking about the, talking about the, the string. I'm talking about the string guy. He's about <laughs> yeah. I think he's talking about the string guy. <laughs> Type in this, just a B A. What is the 17 string bass tuning? I don't even I think know. it's yellow, but that's there it is. It's, yeah, that yellow. yellow was, there it is. There, there we go. Yeah, that, that picture right, right there. there. Look at that. What's going on here? What is that? A screen? What's wrong with that guy? I don't know. He's playing a freaking chord. I'm not sure what you do with that. I'm going to be real. I don't even know. All right. Now type in like a washboard. Uh, a tuning at the end of that search up there. Just type the word tuning in at the end of it. 
I want maybe it comes back. There's there's no exi any existence. You got uh, three pickups. General, to go general discussion. Though. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what. It only there's only <laughs> so many notes. Look at that mess. I wrap your thumb around that. I don't even know what you do there. Uh, I can't uh, even handle back, four of them. Uh, play that with your feet. <laughs> it's the Jeff Healy bass. <laughs> back up, back up to Google again. There's bound to be a better link than that. Seventeen. This string is how this starts. We start on bases. Next thing you know, we're watching a Barney yeah. video, and you know he's. I don't even know. I can tell you what though, it'll be bass fishing. I don't even know how you'd begin to do this. Maybe when you buy the base, they tune it for you. There's a those? chart right there. And then when they tune it back for you, you got to send it off to get it tuned. It's like a piano. <laughs> you got like a piano. You got to like, have somebody come call, over and tune Call it. somebody out. They're like, how we tune this? It's $450 an hour for us to turn them strings. All right, <laughs> there's got to be a better link than, what kind of, than well, what, forums and can stuff. Can you imagine the bass string Just pack try that. Just try that. Uh, <laughs> the 17-string bass is insane. Try that one. Man, We're about to be on a crazy YouTube you search a, here. <laughs> Let's see you what he says You break a string on one of those things, and you better have a backup. All right. That's what you put your dishes on to draw. I mean, <laughs> what kind of gauge right? is that? I don't even know what's going on. Look at the head of that thing. <laughs> Good Lord. I don't even know. Oh, man. I don't even I don't even know where to be. I, what? That's not anything I'm. Gonna, it looks like it's been photoshopped. It's like a coffee table. That's <laughs> like the John Holmes, the John Holmes version. <laughs> the John Holmes bass guitar. Got four This is just overkill. Who the hell came up with this? What? So I don't know, now this is what I don't we know, need. But we've been searching it for five minutes. So he's gotten all the attention in the world. When how low can you go goes wrong? Yeah. Well, Danny, oh. how low? That's can a you simple go? question. Uh, Seventeen string bass tuning. Yeah. What <laughs> if I just bought it and I need? To, what if I bought it and I need to tune it? I don't even know. I think it's a uh, fender on the headstock. You had to try a uh, seventeen string bass string. No. Uh, how, I mean, like, you see where his hand is? Like how? Yeah, let's he's listen. Got to, to he's got to wrap his whole arm around there to get to the top. Oh no! <laughs> yes, this is what I'm talking about. If anybody could would do this, it would be easy Top. I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. That would be terrible. It's party time. I bet it's strung upside down. So what key is this song in? Look, uh, Dusty's at A. Is that A that he's at? Well, he might tune down. I think he tunes it down. Does he tune down the D in this? <laughs> I 
I'll tell you what, it don't matter what he tunes down to because he's ready for it. He's ready for whatever he tunes down. That's crazy. Looks like something out of Star Wars. Looks like an instrument they would have dreamed up for the Star Wars Cantina. That, yes. What kind of amps is all that back there? Look at that red arrow. That's uh, that's Arf Billy Gibbons amps there. What are they? Probably those uh, magnetone or... Yeah. He's playing, he's playing the top note or the low note open there. So I wonder if the standard the last four strings are E, A, D, G. Yeah. Maybe the middle 12 strings don't exist. They're just painted yeah, on Yeah, that's just like... Maybe they're just you painted. can't even reach them. They could just be painted on there. You couldn't reach the middle string if you wanted to. No. All right, well, hand up. That's just a flex. That's just a flex. <laughs> it's, it's, just like flex. A, it's just like the fuzzy guitars. It is. So there's eight keys on one side and nine on the other. I like how it's got yeah, the do a sweep on, Do a sweep on that thing. You need a burn. You need a burn to actually sweep You need a helper. You need somebody else up there to help you I don't think Dusty Hill did it this way. Look at that. No. That's the only way you can play that string is overhanded. I bet that's the same... That's probably tuned to E, and that's tuned to it's E. Tuned to e. It's, probably it's just like just, no matter where it goes. Just I can play it up here, I can play it yeah. down there. It's a show. It's yeah. a good show. Oh. Yeah, mirrors. He's like, we're going to play this for one song, and I'm putting this down. I think it this hurts. is going to catch on. Yeah. <laughs> this is about to break my back. <laughs> I wonder how much it weighs. Well, the next time one of them, uh, no, that's bad. Me too. Oh, it's short, guy, too it's short. You can even see one, one of, uh, one of his nuts is hanging lower than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to sleep on that thing. <laughs> you could, you could sleep on that thing. It's actually, it's actually the backboard they're bringing out of an ambulance. That's the, that's the door Rose was on at the end of Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Jack couldn't fit. Well, if you got a 17-string bass, you got to have like a 23-string guitar. You do. To go with it. Oh, my goodness. So this is their tech? Yeah, he was uh, on the, he was with them all the time anyway. And that's, a, that's a big he, old tree stump he made out of that. He, knew, he already knew the material and yeah. all that. Wow. They didn't, they didn't miss a date, I don't think, hardly. Right. I can't. I mean, I... I I favor the four string. I mean, the, 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 yeah. fifth, the, the fifth string, I had a five string for a little while. Mm -hmm. and I never even I, got the, the I, seven string, man. I'm like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, it's that? just the low, because it's just the low B, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's just the low, low B on that. And I know with playing bass, because if you play four all the time, it took me a bit used, used to a five. I had a five for a little while. I liked it, but then I just wasn't using it. And of course, I said, Marcel. <laughs> and then, Marcel got it for his studio because he used to have the exact one, and he's like he likes the five string. Well, he's it's tools for him. I mean, mm -hmm. he he uses it where he needs to use it and whatever. So he's like, man, I was, and I was like, please, I was like, if you want this, please. So 
He took it off my hands. Well, see, if it's a demonstration of that uh, first thing you, the first thing I ever that did, you ever did on how do, how do not understanding, just, yeah, not understanding you, anything, well, anything about nice the base, have one and, here, uh, kind of. So this is pretty funny. I'll try to just. It, I'm not sure if I'm still you camera. Just, you tell on. me if I'm doing the right thing or wrong thing here. Wrong. Wrong. Is it all wrong? Oh look. Oh, I can actually hear it. <coughs> so the very, the very first night, <laughs> was pretty. Funny. So I've got this bass. I don't know what to do with it. I've plugged it into my, you know, I've plugged it into the stereo, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, you know, there's all of that. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing that happened was I went. And I was like, oh. It's like a hammer oh. on. And it probably sounded about like that. And I was like, well, I can just play this like a piano. Uh -huh. And I remember one of the first things I did is I was like, what if I just kind of go. And I just first night and it sounded that sloppy. It was just a mess. Yeah. So it came out the next day. Toby's like, we're going to practice, you know, because we're 15, 16 years old. So we got to practice because we got to, mm -hmm. you know, we might have a gig. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I'd come out. That's what happened. Is I came out and I was like, well, can't I just play it like a piano? I think this has got some muting on it. So it's why it's telling, telling kind of how it does. But it was just ringing out and they just kept looking at me like, how, what? What did you listen to to do that? I'm like, I don't know. It just sounded right, you know? And that was, and they're like, you can't do that. <laughs> and <laughs> I was rules, just, man. I also said, yeah, there's rules. You can't do that. And I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, just do this, you know? <laughs> they're like, that's every song we're going to play. I'm like, man, that's, yeah. And I couldn't do that. I mean, I couldn't even do that. I was more like, but what you stumbled on was is actually uh, an advanced technique, isn't it? Well, I maybe. I mean, I didn't know any better. Like I said, I, mean, I was that kind I, of stuff. I was fifteen. Is, is and done. I was I was fifteen years old. I might just get this. Well, like this, uh, Eddie Van Halen. Take that off there for just a minute. Eddie Van Halen did a lot of that uh, with his right he, hand. He had, oh yeah, this is all right? tied up. I probably I'm probably gonna. <laughs> take too much time to do that um i don't want to undo your, your thing here but yeah that like i said i got into this everything was fast there was no i didn't know you know i didn't know how to hold a groove i absolutely didn't know how to hold a groove so it was just licks so everything was a everything was a tap everything and that's where it all ended up going play some and it no because i don't do it anymore i'll be honest i don't do you don't i do that I, no i mean and then there was you know stuff like that there were little runs and you're just trying to copy as best you can and it's it was never perfect technique or anything i mean it's i guess it it stays but you, you can't mm -hmm. really do anything with it and it's it doesn't even come into the rip now if everything if i'm playing it's like you know they're just mm -hmm. it's just single notes mm -hmm. so and it's if anything, they're like, man, we need you to speed up. <laughs> you slowed down so much through the through the years. I'm like, ah. I'm like, yeah, but it's less you play. They're like, yeah, but you got to play something. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to play this whole song and sit out. But, yeah, first night, it was just, they're like, you can't do that. <laughs> All right, I can't do that. So it started off in Ryan, Liam, I'm going to shout, Ryan. Ryan's always getting on to me. 
because I get a little bit self-deprecating and I get on myself a little bit. So Ryan, it started when I was fifth. I don't know where to care. It started when I was fifteen. That's where it started. I was already told you can't do that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, sorry, I can't do that. So that's what was always said. But no, that was how it started. That's it's a boring story, but it's yeah. you start somewhere. My uh desire was like I say senior year, so I was seventeen and <clears throat> uh, Billy Ray Heron was my next door neighbor, and we were in the same class. And uh, uh, sometimes I'd share a ride home with him. Yeah. And uh, we went to his mobile home one afternoon, and he said, "Oh, you want to play the bass? Well, I'll teach you uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, bass for uh, Hey Joe." Jimmy oh Hendrix, yeah, Jimmy Hendrix. I thought I made it when I <laughs> when I learned that. I thought I made it. I thought I and he had a silver tone get electric guitar, six string, with just these four strings on it. <laughs> oh yeah, leaning up in the corner of his room for some reason. The E and the B, the high strings, had broke or whatever reason. And he said, "Here, this is just like a bass." <laughs> You get, this is the only strings you get. Was, this was is the only strings you need to know about. When that got played, I was like, ooh, I got to learn that. You know, you got to walk, walk back. Yeah, I think that was, was like, the first cool bass that line was, that I remember. That was the one. first, yeah, that was the first cool one I'd ever heard. And then I got, I, I did like Hendrix and... You know, it was always Voodoo Child and, you know, playing songs. Or you think you can play them at least. You know, mm -hmm. Voodoo Child was easy because it's, you know, basically in one chord. But then I remember I kind of went off into the into the Hendrix that no one listened to. So, you know, kind of got off in that. So, because when I remember I tried to play Axis Fold as Love, I was like, no, nah, I'm never going to get that. You know, because you just, I, I couldn't pick it and stuff like that. But then it turned into like Dolly Dagger. And remember the songs that no one plays. I'm like, oh yeah, freedom. Yeah, they were just so good, such good songs. Um, but it was always I was trying to find out like. But then it, I'd get into that for a little bit because you're new, you don't know, you don't. I'm listening to everybody else what they're doing. I'm like, so what do I listen to? And I'd already liked Van Halen, and I'd already liked Michael Jackson, and I, you know, I'd already kind of liked that stuff. And then, and you know, you grow up listening to Molly Hatchet and Skinner and. Allman Brothers and Blackfoot, we all, you know, mm -hmm. kind of grew up listening to that here. And I was like, yeah, that's where it's at. And no, it was all hair metal. That's what everybody <laughs> wanted to play. It's like, oh, we got to play some Warrant songs and we got to play some Tesla. You know, that first night, that I think we were talking about that one. I could probably, it was, I'm reaching all around the microphone here. I might move it for just a second. Justice, that's all right. This was always the first, I think I remember. That was the night that that was the night that Daddy said your feet were absolutely nailed to the floor because that's how the, that's the first gig I ever played. The first song was the bass line, and I didn't like the spotlight. I knew right then I was like, and I just looked away from everybody. I was like, please let me get through this, you know, being being young. So, and the rest was history. <laughs> Let's pull up uh, some Marcel and. Oh Rick, man, you know? yeah, some uh, because we said that's what we were going to look at when we yeah, took a break. Real big influence. Um, 
whether Marcel likes to say it or not, and I know research. he's yeah. Mar so Marcel Yamuni. So just a good YouTube. Now he's got two albums How out. He spelled so, that. Uh, yeah, no one's hearing that. So Yamuni is Y A. Yeah, Yamuni. Y A M M. Yep. M M O U N I. So now. Yeah, Mar Marcel's a fr he's a great friend. Um, he's got a studio, produces a couple albums out, and it's it's great. I always say this, and we always laugh. And so one of the, the drummer we love, our good friend Mark Grom, who I haven't mentioned, apologies, Mark, is Mark, Rick, Ryan, Marcel. We'll, we'll all kind of, when we're born in lockdown, we go get a practice booth and play. And musicians in isolation. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's probably quite a bit of stuff on YouTube you can find on him. Not not too much stuff, but quite a bit. And Mark always said, and if we wanted to do it in a gig, and we did it once, we played a little gig. It was just fun. It's not you know, it's a little pub in Australia. We made we asked sorry we didn't make we asked Marcel to play every instrument that night, and he did. And he's better than everyone on everyone's Everybody instrument. Else. Yeah. So this is Marcel. Um, so early on in the piece, you know, I mean, I know so many people have lost a, a lot of gigs. Tours, he doesn't sound like he's from Brantley um, County. Overseas no, travel. he's not from Brantley County. He doesn't sound like Paul Lee. Um, no. just got to hang in there, I guess. It looks I like mean, Paul. Um, <laughs> kind of does look like Paul, actually, doesn't it? Does it's important like that we, you know, for health reasons, obviously, that we kind of stop this... Yeah. Pandemic, yeah, it's gonna hurt us along the way, but yeah, I don't really know much more other than we've got to just hang in there, really. I mean, there's you know, <laughs> yeah. find other ways if, if we can, if you can teach, great. You might have to do Skype lessons, obviously, all the schools are kind of shut and all that, but um, yeah, hang in there. That's probably that's probably the only, yeah, it's pretty obvious, but yeah. I've lost a bunch of gigs. All the I, I do a bit of touring with a guy named Michael Dixon, and we do a lot of. Um, What's that? Does he play on this? Uh, conferences. He's uh, a probably not. Well I'm not sure to be honest. And we um, sort of talk it's about just like a question and answer thing. Yeah, he might play a little bit. How to I mean, kind of go about it and all that. And it's, a, it's not a great a big thing, but show yeah, all our, all our gigs have been canned because I thought he was a bass player. Well, he does it all. Yeah, he's originally, from my understanding, he's originally a bass player. But if you hear his guitar play, he's okay. an absolute. Yeah, I want to hear him play. Yeah, he's um. I mean, I, he's got I've, two I've albums. Heard him play. I mean, yeah, you've, two you've albums me, out. You send me stuff all the time, but I just want to. I mean, maybe for the, maybe for the one show. of the things I tell you, there's one I really like, and it, and it's it goes back probably eleven or so years ago, is that he he played a gig at a place called the Evelyn, and it was the song he did was "Brush with the Blues" by Jeff Beck, and he covered it. Is that, a, is that and on it's here? on it's on YouTube and we it got recorded and the light and shade in the song is that's what I'm a, like I feel like I love that now and Marcel he's known for well to me well he is he's known for if you want to build something you get Marcel so it, look it's a bit of a man crush I'm not gonna lie um. <laughs> But have a listen to this. 
sounds amazing. By the way, that's a 1965 or 66 Super Reverb sitting over there. Not a reissue either. Eric Trucks has played through that. Really? Yeah, he loaned it to him when he came to Australia. Marcel, not just me. Is he kind of the oh, ringleader yeah. of that whole circle? Well, no, there's, really. a, there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, look, I, I think he is, but, you know, I'm very biased. Um, it's just, he's, this is his life. This is what he does. You know, these are just gigs. But the, the stuff he does producing and things like that are amazing. To the solo, I'll just say this. My favorite lick is the very first one he does. It's very quiet. It's this. That. <laughs> Here's the build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Thanks. Yeah, he's, and that's the thing that <clears throat> I guess I credit Marcel with a lot. I, I do, but I credit uh, my friends Rick and Ryan with a lot as well because um, they've taught me a ton since I've been there. Um, I mean, I can watch Marcel all day. Mm-hmm. He lives five minutes from me around the corner. Yeah. And, and like I said, we, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to have him as a friend, first and foremost, yeah. and the family. But, boy, I tell you what, there's some perks to sit there and listen <laughs> to, to him play. You know? And he's influenced by show, his brother. Have you ever showed him Josh Kirkland? Oh, yeah. Well, here's, here's <laughs> the thing about all of that is that, I mean, because Marcel in the music industry and all those things, you know, it's like Mar- Marcel appreciates each thing. And he's like, yeah, man, what a gunslinger, you know. And he's a gunslinger himself. And there's other people, but, you know, it's just he's listened to so much music and so many people out there. It's funny because Mars has even said, he's like, I just don't want to listen to music anymore. I just... <laughs> I just don't want to listen. I'll just, you know, I think I, I just, I don't know what's the next step. Mar- Marcel's trying to figure out how to try to transcend the whole thing. Um, he's not, he's not weird and flipped out out there, but his, his albums, you can see the difference in his playing and things that he does and puts together. But it's not just, it's not about speed for Mars. You know, he does some albums and what people want to hear or what he thinks people want to hear and stuff he wrote a long time ago. But he's just more of a, to, to me, he take he's taking the time to sit down and go like, hey, so what are you listening to? What are you doing? What are you, what what what's going on? And when I made that change and started listening to a bit more R and B and you know D'Angelo Voodoo album, I go back to that a lot and the Roots and things. Is that he's like, yeah, man, that's yeah, Pino. Oh, if you're gonna yeah, just stay there, just stay there. You know, he's like, listen to more, but stay there. So I stayed there. And listen to it, and it, it pulled a lot back, you know. Instead of ripping licks and all this stuff, it's just you realize you can make one note sound amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. Put the it's all about the intent, but it's also all about the note you don't play that'll make someone turn like, oh, wait, wow. So, <laughs> and I've learned a lot from him on that as well. So, and Rick as well, Ryan as well. Um, but we, look, to be honest, and Mark, and we all fanboy over Marcel anyway. I know I'm talking a lot about him, but he's a major influence. He is. He's a major influence. I'm very lucky. I'm very, very lucky. So, Thank you, man. Well, folks, we're at the, the point of the podcast, which uh, it's time for a little story. Oh, yes. I've been waiting on this. And uh, this particular one is... Uh, the day Uncle Dave went to jail. <laughs> it takes place in 1977 when you were three and you were four. Four. And my brother was born. Or wait a minute, you were. I'm 74. Okay, you were three and and Ken was four. And another 12 years, and I was born. Uh, is it 12 years <laughs> 12 before Mister Justin Mercer was even thought about <laughs> on the planet? <laughs> But he came out turned up. <laughs> he, he turned up, turned up. Turn up, turn he up. Showed burn, up, turned up. Turn up, burn up. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to all who are watching or listening. This is just one of many holiday memories from the mind of Uncle Dave Griffin. 
And as my disclaimer says, it might not be very merry, but it is a vivid memory. I've owned a lot of vehicles since crawling behind the wheel legally, and a great many of them have been vans. Initially, I was attracted to them because they were the flagship automobile of the counterculture, although I was about as far from the counterculture as you could get growing up in South Georgia. My first van was a red and white Volkswagen bus, and this is a horrible picture, but that's the back end of it. I don't know why I didn't take more pictures in in those days, but uh, I, I flipped it, you know, conversion van and everything, turned it into a... Uh, love palace. <laughs> the love bus. I had a Tico 8-track tape player from Pick and Save in the glove compartment. Oh, pick and save. and there you day. see the, the speakers mounted on the back of the uh, front seats. Mm-hmm. You mean headboard. Well, actually, <laughs> I took the uh, I took both of the back seats out completely, threw shag carpet down on the bottom, took all the panels off of the walls, and and cut Luan paneling, and replaced all the paneling on the walls with pink and white paneling, <laughs> pink and white shag carpet. Uh, Mama died tie dyed the curtains for me. That hung all the way around the van. Screaming, pull me over. <laughs> please, please pull me and over. We made a uh, made a bed that folded off of the uh, motor cover in the back. So I was set. It was warm. I, I didn't have a daggum girlfriend at the time, so it was just she was that. Ready. You was ready, though. You was ready. <laughs> you uh, the batter's box. <laughs> This red and white Volkswagen bus, before I tricked it out, belonged to my brother Gary, who was transferred to Cornwall, England with the Air Force, and he left the van behind for me to continue making payments on. But I ended up selling it to a friend in 1973 and was carless for about a year until Billy Ray Heron and I formed Sweetbriar. You changed your name to Carlos? (laughs) Carlos. I think he painted his toenails red for that, too. <laughs> the uh, Waycross, Georgia's first country rock band. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. I'm telling you. Where's that picture taken? So on on, on Dog Hill, right behind the, Billy Ray's right house. Right behind Billy Ray's house? Yeah. If I was walking through the woods and I ran across you guys, I'd turn around. Boy, I would turn around. <laughs> Boy, you got a pretty mouth. <laughs> well, I started Boy, you got a pretty mouth. We was clueless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh thought it was Connor. <laughs> it was vital to have a van as a working musician to haul amps, guitars, PAs, and if you're lucky, a pretty girl. It took a minute, but I did find a pretty girl whose brother happened to be selling his tan and white VW van. Oh, man. Perfect. I removed the back benches, and it was ideal for the equipment to ride. That one kept me mobile for a couple years and finally died the death crossing over the Trout River Bridge on Lim Turner Road in Jacksonville, Florida, as I was heading to Sonny's Lake Forest Lounge for a week-long gig with the down-home band and Eddie Middleton. The untimely demise of the Volkswagen in 1976 led me to a used yellow Ford cargo van 
with an inside motor cover that only latched down on the passenger side, scalding my bare legs in summer with excess heat from the engine. <laughs> By that time, several of the guys in down home were driving vans, trucks, and station wagons, an ample armada of hauling capacity. So I sold old Yeller and rode with the others. November of 77, after having worked as a full-time musician for two years, I bought myself a brand-new gunmetal blue Dodge van from Ed Thomas Motors in Waycross. Ed was a big, genial, bespectacled man and made me a good deal. What? I, <laughs> that's a big word. That was a big, genuine, a big, good-natured man with glasses. <laughs> English, Doc. <laughs> and he made me a good deal. So I drove it for about a month. Yeah, well, I thought I heard. <laughs> no, but the van did. <laughs> I drove it for about a month, and then the rear axle transmission gave out with a huge heave. The new car smell hadn't even wore off yet, and I was stranded again. Ed apologized up and down as it was hauled in for repairs on the very day I had to get myself to the Jacksonville Beach Coliseum to play a State Farm Insurance Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> I explained my plight. You can't make this up. And Ed told me I could have anything I wanted on the used lot out front. My eyes immediately set upon a big, dark blue Cadillac. <laughs> Says I to Ed, that's the one I want. Look at that right there now. Says Ed to me. Well, that's the one you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> Down home band with Eddie Middleton Crush had enjoyed a busy Bell. and successful year in 77. The gigs paid well, and they were plentiful. Valdosta, Macon, Savannah, Columbus, Augusta, Panama City Beach, Tallahassee, Little Rock, Chattanooga, and Nashville. We were all over the place. Eddie had talked himself into a record deal with Cleveland International and was poised to take his career to the next level. Can you blow that up a little bit? That's Cleveland International. You see, it's a subsidiary of the Epic record label. So yeah. it was a big-time thing. Matter of fact, the first uh, artist they had signed to their label was Meatloaf. And they were down in, uh, they had one of the A&R guys down in Macon when we were playing up there uh, trying to sign Dickie Betts' band after Almond Brothers oh, broke, broke up. up. It was Great Southern. And we all ended up partying together. That's a whole nother story I think we've read yeah. on here before. But uh, Eddie Middleton ended up talking the A&R guy that was down there to sign Dickie Betts into signing him all in that one night. In my, in my motel room. Wow. <laughs> How good is well, that? There was two bands that partying like hell, and one of them was Dickie Betts. Dang. <laughs> oh, we got tore up. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Middleton did all the booking for our group and he had us playing, huh? He must have been a talker, Dad. He was a talker. Talked he himself was, in there. I mean, I'm telling you, Eddie. Dickie out. This was the beauty of it. Eddie was our front man in this band. And we were, you know, 76, 77. I had only been playing for a few years, you know. 
officially playing in bands. And so I was a real novice. He was an accomplished front man. I seen him in places we'd play, just walk out there. And strangers, everybody, we were just strangers to everybody. And he'd walk out there in the middle of Little Rock, Arkansas or something, have him eaten out of his hand in about five minutes. He was just, he, 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 he knew owned, what he was doing. He, he, owned was, the room. he was big time. All right. So uh, Eddie did all the booking for our group and had us playing for State Farm's big Christmas dance in the Beach Coliseum. Big venue, big night, big times. Big time, Bill. And I showed up in a car equal to it all. <laughs> it was a Cadillac. We were set up at one end of the cavernous round building playing funk music in matching dark blue pinstripe jumpsuits. Oh, man, look at this now. <laughs> look at them bell bottoms. That uh, were flare-legged and zipped up from the crotch to the collar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, not every state farm insurance agent in the state of Florida was hip to the Ohio players and Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Commodores. <laughs> so like insurance companies are wont to do, they settled on two different groups for their <laughs> holiday party. At the opposite end of the Coliseum was a jazz polka band. <laughs> opposite, to, opposite to us in the music they played and the clothing they wore. Oh, my goodness. When we took a break, they strike up their band. Jazz to use, polka? <laughs> jazz polka? To use another phrase <laughs> familiar in the insurance business. It was easy money for the boys in down home that night. <laughs> we we didn't have to play near as much, and uh, which led to us getting oh a little tore up because a friend of ours came up from Waycross with some little bit of stuff, a little bit of stuff, yeah. And uh, I think I was walking around back uh, when we were loading up. I wasn't doing much loading at all. You was unloading. You was unloading. I had the old spaghetti legs and was, was holding on to the nearest column. He was doing a Griffin shuffle. Yeah, it's a Griffin shuffle. Right, yeah, I was about right. to say a Griffin shuffle. The old Griffin shuffle. And uh, <laughs> anyhow, we partied hard. When the night came to an end, loaded our equipment in everybody's van but mine. I lit out the way cross in that Cadillac on US 1 North and made it as far as Folkestone when all the excitement of the night before finally caught up with me. Easing the caddy into a motel parking lot situated in the triangle where US 1 splits into Highway 301 and 23, I found an empty parking space, laid down in the front seat, and fell asleep. (laughs) Early next morning... The South Georgia sun beat through the Cadillac windows. I slowly cracked open my eyes to see two elderly motel patrons, (laughs) husband and wife, probably from Maryland, preparing to head on down to sunny Florida for the holidays. They were staring in at me as if I might be dead. What they saw was a guitar player with flies buzzing around Last night's beer-crusted saliva at the corners of my lips, wearing a blue pinstripe jumpsuit zipped down from the collar to the crotch. 
<laughs> oh my god! Hey, and like I said, the oh. disclaimer before. Uh, it might not be very merry, <laughs> but it was a vivid memory. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sure they remembered it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're probably that, dead now, but that, but it's Gladys. Check on him. Harry. I, I think that's Kenny Loggins, is he? I think that's Kenny Loggins. Wait, I think it's Kenny Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Second my goodness. <laughs> His zipper's yeah, all the was, way down. That was the year right there, too. That was about that's 77. Funny. You still got them? You still oh, got that? No, that, that's I don't a have one, that that's outfit. A onesie. Wonder, wonder what in the hell happened to those outfits. I think well, you I should get Connor one made. I, I kept. Connor should get one of those. <laughs> I kept two items from those days. One was a but faded what? glory. <laughs> we, had, we had outfits with these faded glory things. Mine was peach colored. It was a vest and uh, uh, pant ensemble. 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 <laughs> and it was, I kept that vest. I think I still got that. Oh and uh, some crushed velvet, black crushed velvet pants. Well, you know, they probably made them and crushed velvet pants. Black crushed my velvet daughter pants. wore those in high school. Well, the crushed velvet <laughs> pants was made from them curtains where they were playing that first gig. That was up. It's like, I think. Yeah, should, the king of the road. We should, Pants out of them curtains. That's right. You need to ask your mama or you ask her, Sean. She's next door to you. <laughs> if she ever went to the King of the Road in Valdosta. Yeah. Or my mama. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, probably no. No, you said you lived there. You said y'all lived there in Valdosta. Oh, I will ask in her. 77. Yeah, 77, we would live there. Oh, that's a good question to ask. Yeah, yeah ask that's, her. That's... Ask her, did she go out to the King of the Road and when she says, Oh, we love that place. Dave so. could be your daddy. Dave might be <laughs> no. my daddy. Dave no. actually might. He no. wasn't born there. Well, Dave, <laughs> Dave, it's one of those questions like Dave's like, I'm not old enough to be your daddy, but I'm old enough to be your stepdaddy. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, yeah, we loved it. Uh, then say, you remember Eddie Middleton and Down Home? Who? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God bless Jesse. There it is. Hey, how about that? How about that? They heard that in forever. All right, folks. Well, we're going to sign off now. Want to thank our guest all the way from Australia Man. and Brantley County. Yeah. I want to thank Ware y'all. County. Yeah, we tried to do this. County. We tried to do this. In Jamestown. Yeah, Jamestown. Shout out to Jamestown. Shout buddy. out to the old Wacona boys. Good buddy. Undefeated 1981 flag football championship. Just like to th- thank all of us. That's right. Shout out to Toby Harrison, who we mentioned earlier. That yeah. was yeah, we oh, covered some so friends. many. Uh, we covered some good ground on this. Toby taught me guitar. Mm-hmm. We need to have Toby on, Toby. Yeah, you should get Toby, Toby on here. Ty Manning, another what, oh, Ty, another yeah. uh, oh. who's now living back home again yeah, in, love in Brantley County. Ty, I got a quick Ty story really fast. Okay. Ty didn't want Ty was in I think the 10th or 11th grade. Yes, Miss Meeks is a teacher. I was across the hall in Miss Hammond's class, and we heard this guitar playing. And Ty, and we all stood up to look over. And if you get Ty, maybe Ty will tell the story better, but from my understanding, Ty didn't want to do a book report, but he said, I'll play a guitar solo instead. <laughs> <laughs> and it was either a guitar solo or a song. And that was, and Ty got up and did, and man, it was the greatest thing in the world. Ty got up the front. I think he had a white Kramer or something like that. He had used to have his whole white guitar, and 
was playing in there and good old Ty with that big smile and everything and just I think he might have been singing or just playing and I think he got an A for doing that instead of doing Ooh, a book you board. have to give it up to the teacher oh miss me yeah know? she was she was they would have been teachers no nonsense yep. like you're doing a book report that's it and you're gonna like it i think ty know? negotiated his way out of that i'm pretty sure yeah. he negotiated, oh, yeah. negotiated his way through life <laughs> he does he has ty we love you brother you know yes. you know we do yep yep <laughs> well folks we want to thank y'all for watching listening and uh reminder always uh step on over to patreon.com for our deep end podcast which comes out once a month only $5 subscription per month. And uh, it's a little bit different, a little edgier, and uh, we think you'll like it. Dave takes his shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get for $20? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> well, some swag. Man. And uh, I want to say a special hello. Uh, what's our friend's name in, in uh, Blackshear? That uh that don't dare it down. No, no. The, <laughs> the girl. The girl who's who's uh paid Patreon, you know, she came to uh, the, Nicole. Nicole. Nicole Nicole Sachs. She stopped me at the porch fest this past weekend and said, Where is my Swamp Town Get Down T shirt? No. I sent you the size and the address no, months ago. And I'm sorry. Town get down. Where's my? I'm sorry. Something in the water. Something, something in the water. Podcast t-shirt. See, you get swag and prizes <laughs> and good gifts if you're a subscriber on Patreon. And if uh, you are, and if Dave sees the email, <laughs> and if I see the email, <laughs> then better you for something. you. <laughs> but Nicole. If you're watching this, I'm going to hand bring that uh, T-shirt to you. hand bring it. (laughs) That's right. Watch out. Watch out. Thank you all again. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey.